Hebrews 11. Last Sunday morning, I told you that I am making my personal devotion reading through the book of Hebrews. And I spoke to you from the fourth chapter. Those of you that know anything about the book of Hebrews will know that chapter 11 is called the faith chapter of the Bible. There are numbers of people here, persons, whom the writer lifts up as people who were strong in faith and accomplished the extraordinary. Like you and I, they were everyday people. But because they had faith and exercised faith in God and obeyed God, they did more than they could in their human limitation alone. Verse number, please, verse number 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw him as a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. By faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Verse 27, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkling of blood, lest he who destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, whereas the Egyptians, attempting to do so, were drowned. I know you didn't come here this morning just to fill in a time on Sunday and do your social obligation. I know you, like me, need to hear from God through song, worship, the Word, and prayer. Would you reach your hands and pray for me that I'll be a help to you? Would you encourage me that way and I'll encourage you and pray for you? Everyone, just would you offer a prayer that God will make this, this experience worthwhile to us? Father, just keep breathing on us, Lord. God, I do realize my limitations. And I have certain amounts of fears, Lord, that while it may not show, it's there. I rebuke fear and I claim faith. I claim faith over this congregation. Lord, I don't know the motive of everybody here, but I thank you that they are here. Whatever our motives are, including mine, I pray that if it's inconsistent with your will, then change it. God, let the Word of God find good soil in our heart. Amen, church? May the seed of the Word of God find good soil. Break up the fallow ground, Lord, and put the seed in the soil of our heart. And let the rain of the Holy Spirit rain on our hearts and lives. Though I speak symbolically, God, I speak for you to enrich us, change us, and disciple us in Jesus' name. Say amen. And it is. You may be seated. I would invite you to keep your Bibles open, please, for the lesson this morning. And I, I feel to speak to you today on making choices that matter. When at the crossroads of life, and you will come to numerous crossroads in your life, you need to make choices that matter. Hebrews 11 is about winners. It's called the Hall of Fame of Faith. It's kind of like the Olympians of the Bible. The theme of the Olympics is in our mind, and it should be, and with so many medals won by one person, Michael Phelps, you'd almost think you're watching the Michael Phelps Olympics. 
Go, Michael. But in another sense, this is about winners, this 11th chapter. Moses. Among the names mentioned in the hall of fame of faith is this man, Moses, who was perhaps the greatest man we read about in the Old Testament. Moses was great for numbers of reasons, one of which that it was God who selected Moses to receive the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai to give to his people that are still with us today. And even though the world wouldn't admit the value of the Ten Commandments, much of the moral code of many nations come from the substance of the Ten Commandments. It was Moses to whom God allowed the authorship of the first five books of the Old Testament. We know them as the Pentateuch, Torah. It was Moses to whom God gave the assignment to lead approximately two million slaves, Hebrew slaves, from Egypt, captivity, to the promised land, the land of milk and honey. I look at Moses, and when I know and read about his life, I say to myself, how come with all the limitations he confessed, how come God used Moses so effectively? Because I look at my life, and, and I hear from some of you who feel your limitations from time to time, and wonder, how in the world can I ever be all that God wants me to be? And how can I ever change things that I'm struggling with? When I look at people like Moses, I come to realize that in their journey, there were some basic questions in their life that they had to answer in order to move on. And if they answered them correctly, it would have significance of great value for them. Let, let, let me, by way of introduction, show you some basic questions that I find in our text that I want to address. Moses had to address them. Number one, who am I? It's verse 24 of our text. Number two, what are my choices? We all make choices. Can I get an amen? Every one of you are the product of choices this morning. You came, those of you that, that were not otherwise dragged or lassoed or hypnotically brought to church, you came by your choice. We all make choices. Here's a third question. What is really important? Somewhere in your life, and several times in your life, you're going to be faced with choices like Moses, and you're going to have to decide, my friends are going this way, and the company is going this way, and the world is going this way, but what is really important for me? And there's a fourth question Moses answered, and that is, what are my goals? Verse 27. We're going to deal with these questions because they are found in our text, and they are the keys to effective living, making choices that matter at the crossroads of life. If you don't get them written down now, I'll use them again. Here's where we go. We begin with this. Who am I? And the answer is immediate. In wondering who you are, you just need to decide to be yourself. Give me an amen by faith. I say that because God made you for a purpose. And God made you with a plan that he has for your life that while he may have something similar for mine, each of us are uniquely made by God. And even though you may be part of an identical twin set, you're still uniquely different. Here's something that's very simplistic, and, and I almost don't want to say it because it's so simplistic, but it has truth. There's nobody who can be you except you. 
I went to college to learn that. It's almost like saying wherever you are, there's where you are. I'll kill it by keep going on that way. Moses had to decide, who am I? Because, listen to this. When he was born in Egypt, he was born to a government that said all the Hebrew children, male children, had to be executed. Moses was born to Hebrew parents. He was a Jew. And the Bible says, look in your scriptures, please. Verse 23 won't be on the screen. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's command. The king's command was all the Hebrew male children must be killed at birth because the the Egyptians realized that these Hebrews that were their slaves were growing rapidly in number and population. And if these Hebrews got to be such a large number, one day they might rebel against their taskmasters and the Egyptians and take over the government and the land. So they decided to kill the seed, the men, starting with the boys, if you will, the young boys, the baby boys. And so what happens is the parents of Moses feared to some degree that their son would be discovered. And even though they knew the law of the land, they didn't fear the king because they knew God had a purpose for their son. So you remember Moses' mother, according to the book of Genesis, Moses' mother made a basket and put a a, a pitch asphalt inside of it and put a blanket in it and put her baby Moses in there. You remember Moses' mother knew where the daughter of Pharaoh would occasionally go to the river and bathe herself. And knowing that, she strategically watched for the day that the king's daughter would come, Pharaoh's daughter. She put Moses in the basket with a blanket and put him to float down the river right in the path of the Pharaoh's daughter who saw him, heard his cry, had him brought to her in the basket. She so was moved by him that she took him into her father's palace and raised him like her own son. But what happens is, here, here's, the, here's the identity crisis that Moses had. He was born Jewish, but he was raised Egyptian. So he had to decide at some point in his life, who am I? This is quite an important choice because it would determine the rest of his life. If Moses said, I'm Egyptian and faked his heritage, he would live a life of ease. If he chose to repress who he really was, and that is a Jew, then he would have an outstanding career because he'd be educated by the Pharaoh. He would be in the line of succession for the possible Pharaoh of Egypt. He would have fame and fortune. But if he, if he said, I'm Jewish, which of course he was, he would be humiliated. He would be kicked out of the palace. He would be sent to live with a bunch of slaves for the rest of his life. Yet Moses saw as he grew up and got more mature, He saw how badly his people, the Israelites, were being treated as slaves, and he couldn't be silent. Character and integrity was developing in him. So he couldn't keep silent when he saw the Egyptian taskmasters beating on people of his own lineage, his own race, his own nationality, even some of his own family members. He made a decision that cost him the next 80 years of his life. Look at the decision. Verse 24, if you're there, say amen. In your Bible, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, refused. You ought to underline that word in your Bible or circle it. Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. 
The, the word refused, you already know because it's on the screen. Perhaps you've looked at the word refused means to reject, to deny, to totally disown. What it means here is that Moses cut himself off from a promising career as an Egyptian because he refused to live a lie. Instead, he wanted to do what God made him to do. Can somebody say amen here? And what I'm trying to say to you is one of the fastest way for you to have ulcers and have your, your life all in a, in a spin and a tizzy is for you to be, try to be somebody else than you are. Help me out here, somebody. God made you. As, I know you have your limitations. I do. I know maybe you didn't finish high school or you didn't finish college or you didn't, you, didn't get to, you didn't get the chances or the breaks that other people get. You were born maybe on the wrong side of the track. Maybe you were exploited and abused at other times of your life. But what you have got to decide is that I am a creation of God. And even though I have limitations, the Bible says God does not just look at the outward appearance of people as men do but God looks on the heart if your heart is pure if you have a dream if you have a vision if you have a goal if you want to be somebody if you want to make a difference and you commit your life to God you are God's and you ought to claim your identity as a blood-bought child of God clap your hands and give him thanks you know, we, we, see all, we see magazines, we see television shows, we, we see athletes, we see Hollywood types, and, all, and, and oh my, we see the Olympics. I, I want to be so-and-so. Nothing wrong with having mentors. Nothing wrong with having role models. But you are who you are. When I started preaching and I came out of our, of our uh, university for the Church of God, we have several Bible schools, but we have a university called Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee. When I graduated from there, called to the ministry, I wanted to be successful as a youth pastor and then eventually a pastor. And I set a path that God set out for me, and I wanted to walk that path of the calling to ministry. But I began to think, how can I be a great preacher? How can I lead a lot of people? How can I have a large church? How can I have a dynamic ministry? How can I be well-liked and draw people? And my old carnal way of thinking said, well, well, you know, uh, John Hagee, he's real popular. You ought to be some of what he is. Uh, you, you, know, uh, you know, Charles Stanley, he's, he's real popular. You ought to be some of what he is. Uh, you know, Billy Graham. Billy Graham wins people all over the world. You ought to be some of what Billy Graham is. And I got to thinking, maybe I can build a church if I'm part Charles Stanley and part Billy Graham and part Rod Parsley and part John Hagee. And during that time, too, when I started my ministry, a gentleman by the name of Jimmy Swaggart was very popular. And he had a worldwide ministry, much like Manny Hinn's ministry. But Jimmy Swaggart, man, brothers and sisters, he could go to the keyboard. I mean, and he could play, and he could make you cry and rejoice. Then he could leave the keyboard and come and open his Bible. He's about six feet, two inches tall, got a head full of hair. And, man, I'm thinking, I could be some of Jimmy Swaggart. And I, I tried for a while. I didn't tell everybody that I was doing that. But I thought, how could God use me much like Moses when God called him? Moses said, God, you made a mistake. You, you called the wrong guy. Number one, I don't know how to lead people. Number two, I have a speech impediment. I, I can't even talk plain. Why would you be calling me? I'm not even articulate. And I'm thinking, God, I, I can't stand and preach before. I can't build a great church on my limited identity. And you know what I found out? The more I tried to be another preacher, I found another preacher that I wasn't yet, and I was going to try to be that. You know what I also discovered? Any two-headed creature is a monster. Say amen. Some of, you, some of you are struggling to be somebody else when God called you to be who you are. I found out that I'm five feet trying to be seven inches tall. 
I'm, I'm growing all the hair a man could grow without buying some hair. If you buy it, God bless you. I'm not against you. You know, I, I figure, you know, I'm doing my best to be who I am. But what I found out is, if I'm sincere and I love God, I'll leave the rest to God. God will anoint me. God will help me. Whatever God wants, I'm going to give God my best and identify myself as a called person of God. So you're a mother, so you're a wife, so you're a husband, so you're a father, so you're a businessman or a businesswoman, so you're a school teacher, so you own your own business, so you have a goal. One day you want to be an athletic type. One day you want to break a certain record. One day you have your own business. One day you have goals and dreams. Just be who you are and perfect yourself by prayer and living holy. God blesses obedience as who we are. And if you lack what it takes, he'll give it to you. Here's a second question that must be answered. What are my choices? There are many choices. But in the choices you make, be responsible. In the choices you make, if you're taking notes, write this down. Accept responsibility for your own life. Don't blame somebody else for your life. Don't say, it's not my fault my life is like it is. And it may not be your fault to a certain extent, but there comes a place in your life where you're going to have to accept responsibility for where you are and who you are. Because all of us have choices. Every one of us, I said earlier, I don't want to be redundant, are the product of our choices. And so you have to accept responsibility for your own life. Write this down if you take notes. What I choose today will determine my tomorrow. That's responsibility. The choices I make today. My morality, my value about my marriage, about my finances, about my walk with God, about my spiritual life, about the people I hang with or don't hang with, about what I let my eyes see or my mouth say. The choices I make today will reflect itself in my tomorrow. It's called responsibility. And here's something I want you to see in, in verse 24, please. In verse 24, we see Moses refusing. And then in verse 25, please look at verse 25. Here's what he does. Choosing rather to suffer. Circle the word choosing. Underline it. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. There's a principle here I want you to get. The negative is followed by the positive. The negative of refusing something is followed by the positive of choosing something. Somebody say amen. You know, a lot of people won't come to Christ and won't come to the church and come to faith because they use the excuse of Christianity is don't do this, don't do that, don't do the other thing, don't so say this, don't go here, uh, don't drink, don't smoke, don't cuss, don't chew, don't run around with the girls that do, and the guys. Just... What the Bible says to us is whenever you take something out of your life, refusing the world and the flesh and the devil, whenever you take something out of your life, negative, God helps you to put something positive in your life. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Christianity is not just a negative bunch of uh, religion and do's and don'ts. 
When the Lord tells you if you'll give up the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, if you'll make your body my temple, then the Lord says, what I'll add to you is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Ghost. If you'll give up the things of the world, then I'll take out of your life demon and darkness and attacks of hell, and I'll put into your life the promises of God. Everything God asks you to take out of your life is not to make your life miserable, but He's choosing rather to pour into your life love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith. Somebody clap your hand and thank God for the good things of God. Be responsible. Look at verse 23. The Bible says in verse 23, as a baby, God chose Moses. But then in verse 24 and 25, when Moses grew up, verse 24 says, Moses, when he became of age... When he grew up, it says he had to make a choice. And he chose God. Can I get another amen? As a baby, you and I were created for God's pleasure. Before you even choose God, before you even get, went to an altar, wherever you got saved, and said, you know what, i got to get my life right, and i gotta quit. I got to quit allowing myself to do things, say things, and be with people that bring ruination to my soul. i got to get saved. Before you made that choice, whether you were eight, 18 or 28, before you made that choice, God had already chosen you. But God is so good and right that He says, you know what, I've already chosen you, but you're only saved after you choose me. Give me a witness, somebody. As a baby, God chose Moses. As an adult, Moses chose God. What I'm trying to say is we, we, we have all kinds of venues and ways where we can use excuses to blame and to try to legitimize why our life is like it is. Listen to this, and you need to note it. You cannot blame somebody else for the direction of your own life. Uh-uh. Let me tell you something else, and you need to note this. And you cannot live off of somebody else's spiritual commitment. You've got to make your own decision. Well, my mama is a Christian, thank God. My, I came from a line of Christians. My grandpa, thank God. My wife is a Christian, thank God. But here is the difference. Here is a, a choice you have to make at the crossroads of life. What about your choice? You will not get to heaven on your mama or your daddy or your wife or anybody else in your family. You, the Bible says, choose you this day who you will serve. Somebody say amen. Oh, no, no, no. You can't, you can't go to heaven on credit. You got to go to heaven by the wash blood, the washing and the cleansing of the blood of the Lamb of our lives. I'm trying to say, you need to note this: the fact of the matter is, nobody can ruin your life ultimately except you. Yeah. Oh, but pastor, pastor, you don't know what happened to me as a, a child, and you're probably right. I don't, and I don't minimize it. Pastor, you don't know what happened in my, my last marriage. That's why my life is as it is. You don't know what happened. To, I missed the opportunity on the job, and, and, I, and somebody was promoted above me, and I've had emotional distress. You know, you can find all kinds of things to blame your life's condition on if you want to. But nobody can ultimately ruin your life except you. Oh, it's out there. Well, my mother bathed me in the bathtub as a little baby and held me under the water too long. And all through my years, I've had emotional distress, and that's why I'm abusive and bad. 
you got to come to age. I know this ain't shouting ground, but it's good. When Moses became of age, my goodness, you're 45 years old. Get rid of the excuses and get a life. Get Jesus. Somebody here help me. It's time for you to, to take responsibility and not ruin your life. Well, I'm a drunk because my grandpa was a drunk. Well, our family's always had divorce in it, and I guess I'm just going to be in the chain of command or the line of divorcees. That does, you, you can take responsibility by seeking God and living right and quit having a bad attitude and try to do the things that are right whether your mate does it or not. Take responsibility for your children and your home. Take it to prayer. Take it to God. Rededicate your life. The power of God is able to change you from ruin to jubilation. Somebody say amen. You have to make the choice. Here's a, here's a third question. What is really important? What is really important? Well, what's really important is everybody needs some biblical values. Have some values. Establish a value system for your life. And do it early. Because you know what? There, there's only... Two, there are only two choices in life. And that is, you either serve self and self alone, or you serve God. Two choices in life, whether you're going to uh, feel His presence. Two choices for everybody in this house. I'm going to live the rest of my life pleasing me, or I'm going to live the rest of my life pleasing God. And Moses, oh, I feel a whoop glory coming on this handsome bald head. My sermon, I can edit it. Look at the next verse, esteeming, underline the word and circle the word in your Bible. Look at the next verse, 26, here's what it says, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. Moses decided, you know what? I am a Jew, a Hebrew, dressed up as an Egyptian. God called me, with my limitations, to deliver my fellow family members and nation out of the uh, slums and the ghettos of Egypt. And so I need to make a decision. Esteeming, because I know if I hang with these Hebrews, I'm going to suffer. I won't have my own personal chariot. Nobody's going to peel grapes for me. Hello, somebody in Radio Land. You, you need to write this down. You never... Have progress without problems. That's good preaching. You need to remember this. You never have problem progress to your goal, to your finances, to your marriage, to building a house, to building a business, to building your life. You can never have progress in the kingdom of God and in this natural world without some problems along the way. So Moses had to weigh it out. Esteem means to weigh it in the balance, to consider the options, evaluate the worth, consider the value. Oh, but if I go to church and serve God and read my Bible and pray and live for God, I might miss out on A, B, C, D. You need to measure it out. Let me show you why. The world system emphasizes, the world's value system emphasizes at least three things. And, and, and people would seem like give their right arm to have these. For example, the world emphasizes pleasure. And pleasure says, I want to feel good. So the commercials you, you, you see on television, if you drink this Gatorade, you'll be like Michael Phelps, phony baloney. You got to get up early and do some exercise for a lot of years, you know. 
Uh, if you drink this beer, the girls will fall at your feet. No, unless they're drunk. Have you seen yourself in the mirror? Pleasure. Here's something else. Possessions. I want to have a lot. Somebody came to us in America some years ago and said to us, real success in life is things. And the more you have the latest things and the latest gadget, the happier you will be. Possessions. You know what? You can buy happiness. Yes, you can. But the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season. Well, you can buy happiness. You can go to the, you can go to the, wherever they sell boats and buy you a ski boat with a nice, powerful engine, get you a set of skis and other kinds of equipment that go with your ski boat, hit the lake and get out and ski on Sunday morning while I'm preaching. And you know, the Holy Ghost shows me stuff. And if you are skiing on Sunday morning, not at church first. Now, you can ski Sunday afternoon and Sunday evening. But if you are skiing on the Lord's Day when he's supposed to be in this church buying happiness, I'm going to pray there'll be a hole in your boat and your boat won't float. Little rap there, isn't it? Pretty good, isn't it? Yeah. Y'all are clapping, but I'm dead serious. You stay home and watch TV at the Olympics while I'm trying to preach. I'll play your TV blow up in your face. That's not really ethical, is it, brother? I didn't ask you what's ethical. I'm telling you I'm me. I ain't, I ain't them other guys, okay? And I, don't, I won't pray that your TV will blow up, but I'm tempted. Possessions. You know the thing about possessions and buying happiness? It don't last. It don't last. Just like pleasures don't last. Because you buy that ski boat, you go for about six months, you, you think, you know what? I'm having such fun. I wonder if I get a twin-engine boat. And so you get a twin-engine boat for the next three months. You're having to go, and you find out there's some other gadgets out there. And then you get past that sense. And you're not just ski boat, but bass boats. You got this little old monitor in your bass boat. You can hardly see a fish. And then you heard there's a big screen fish finder. And you go to that. And, and you're, all, you're all looking at me like this is just fishing in water. No, you can try to buy happiness, and some of you have. Maybelline. Preach, little man. I am. Mary Kay. Not against any of those products. God knows if I, if I need to cover some stuff and paint up some stuff, make me look better, I might try it. But you can't buy happiness like that, see? Designer clothes, designer everything else, cell phones. We got gadgets we don't even know how to operate. Yeah, I got a phone that I don't even know how to work except to say hello. Because we're trying to buy happiness. The problem with possession, pleasure, and is, is it's temporary. And then you go chasing after. You know the stuff you had to have for Christmas? Ain't nobody going to buy it in the yard sale today. But you had to have it. But let me show you something else. I'm hastening here. Power. The world system says, I want to be famous. I want to be influential. I want to have power. I want to be popular. So we see all these athletes and we see all these Hollywood types. And we think, boy, if we could make their money and we could have their influence and power, wouldn't we be happy? And the next thing you find out is you hear on CNN or Fox that this rich athlete or movie star was found dead, taking their life. Because they really didn't find pleasure, possession, or power. So here's what Moses decided. I'm going to try to wrap it up in just a few more moments. Terry with me here. Okay? Here's what Moses decided. I'd rather make the right choices. 
I need to have value system. Look at this. Change the slide, if you will, for me. Uh, go to the next one, if you will. I won't tarry there. Moses says this about number one. He says, God's purpose is more valuable than my popularity. Can I get an amen? Yeah, yeah. God's purpose for my life to be the deliverer of slaves, even though I go with the slaves and smell like a slave and eat what they're slave, I'd rather be in God's purpose to be the deliverer of God's people, to be anointed by God, than to live in Pharaoh's palace and miss my calling. God has a purpose for all of you. Here's something else Moses decided, that God's people are more valuable than my pleasure. Moses said, I could stay in the king's palace. I could stay with the Pharaoh. I could dress in nice clothes, have my own chariot, have the best education. But if I stay and do that and not obey God, it'll all be about me, myself, and I. God never blessed the pastor or bless you for it to be all about you. Somebody say amen. God never saved you and gave you the power of God and the word of God and blessed you with a house and car and food and clothes and education. You may not think you have a lot, but you have more than the largest majority of people who live in this world. God didn't bless us to be all about us, but He blessed us to overflow and bless others. And when we bless others, God in turn fills us up over and over. Somebody give the Lord praise. Yeah. You'll never enjoy church if all it is about you coming and hearing a fast song or singing a slow song or getting your favorite pew. You'll never enjoy church if all you come is with your, with your analytic mind thinking, he's preaching too loud, he's preaching too long, he's too short, he's too whatever. If all you come is, my God, they're, you know, they're, they're just not a, if you, all you come is, is trying to analyze God, you'll never enjoy it. But if you come and say, I'm one of the people of God, I'm not perfect, but I'm going to go in the presence of God. They may not sing my song, I may not get my favorite seat. But I'm going there because God loves people and I am one of His people. Yeah. I'm going to tell you something else you may not like either. But I ain't running for president or dog catcher, so I could care less. So many of you are spending so much time trying to change your spouse when you ought to be trying to change yourself. I know you may not like it, okay? But I'm going to tell you the truth. So many of you are trying to, get, trying to create values in your spouse about you and who you are. If they can think like I think or do what I want. You need to find out what God wants for you as a husband. You need to honor God and serve God and treat your wife as Jesus Christ loves the church. Husbands ought to love their wives as Jesus loved the church. Whether the wife is reciprocating or not. Because if you do right, God's going to get around to your wife or get around to her husband. If you do right by your spouse according to the Bible without expecting anything in return... God can turn it around. Yeah, yeah. Oh, God, help me. Let me show you something else. I'm preaching myself. I'm getting real hot so I can get in that tank. God's peace is more valuable than possessions. Let me tell you something. You can have house, car, land, popularity, pleasure, and possessions and be as miserable as the day is long because all of them are momentary. But, oh, if you're smack dab in the will of God... I don't have a lot of money, but I have peace. Money will come when I need it. I'm praying for, some of you say, I'm praying for a Christian spouse. Wait on God. Wait on God. You know, part of the process of faith is this ability to wait on the thing you're praying for when you can't even see it. Pastor, I want peace. Wait on God. Let me tell you something. You got you to gotta have some value. If God's going to bless you, you've got to have some values. I don't mean to be unkind, but I don't mean to be ignorant. i got people who come to me for counseling, and they think, we, we got one over on him. And I'll tell you, I'm not the 
I'm not the brightest one in the bunch sometimes. And sometimes I'm one French fry short of a happy meal. But when it comes to spiritual things, when it comes to godly things, I do fast and I do pray and I do seek God. And he does give me discernment so I can hear the non-vocal. You might be telling me something as a pastor, but I'm saying, Holy Spirit, show me what they really need to be telling me. I want to tell you something. You come to me for marital counseling, and you're already sleeping together, you're wasting my time and yours. Okay? If you come in this house and you want marital counseling, and, and, and you say, Pastor, I want you to pronounce a blessing over me and my bride or my groom-to-be, and I want us to exchange rings of the house of God with the presence of God, with the saints of God, and take the vow of God's word till death separate us, what makes you think you can come there and go through that form when you're already breaking the law of God by fornicating and adulterating? What makes you think you can survive in a marriage when you're already lying before you get in it? I'm just being plain as the day, okay? And this may, be, this may be my Alpha and Omega sermon to you. This may be your first Sunday and last. I love you and I want you to come back, but I'm not a generic preacher. I don't preach six points on how to feel good and you go home and eat and forget. I preach about stirring up the soul. Okay? Let, let, let me tell you something. Let, let, let me tell you. You've got to have some values that God can bless. And if, if you all are cheating right now before you get married and you're sleeping together and, and you, ha, you, you are a high school student or a college student and you're sleeping together and having sex, you are missing the will of God. And if you're cheating now and you think you're going you're gonna to survive in a marriage, what, what is there to tell you that your spouse is not going to cheat on you later and turn their back on you? I'm telling you, you've got to create some values that even though the world says here are the birth control devices, here's a safe way to have an abortion. Here's a safe way to do stuff and get away with it. Even though the world says that, you better live in a place and aware where God can bless you. You better choose God's value. If you choose God's way and you're alone in your decision, you still have a majority because if God be for you, who can be against you? I'm not mad. I'm just passionate. you got to make some choices. I told Pastor Jeff this week, and I know I told you to come in a little earlier, and I lied. Just wait just a moment more. Uh, I told Pastor Jeff this week, how come it is, Pastor Jeff, you and I preaching, you and Wednesday night, and I'm on Sunday. And folks are still doing some stuff that, that God can't bless. And I, I, I preach my heart out on Sundays, and he preaches his heart out on Wednesdays. And then we find people that we thought they got it. They're not going to go back and do that. And the devil fools them again. You've got to make some choices. You've got to quit dating a deadbeat if they're going to drag you to hell. <laughs> I took my watch off because I was going in the pool. Thank God. Yeah. Let me say something to you women. I say this from time to time. And you know I'm a pastor. I'm going to speak to you as a pastor. You women who are single or divorced and waiting for God to send you somebody, quit living as if any man will do. You know? When I was a boy, they had this hair hair thing that guys could use on their hair. It was called Bill Cream. Bill Cream. You remember it? And, and you had a tube, and you'd squeeze it on your hand, and you, you know, you'd use it to comb your hair like some of you comb your hair this morning. And the, the theme of Brill Cream was, a little dab will do. Some of you women, you've got to have a man so bad that any man will do. No! You'd save me a lot of counseling if you just wait on God. Any man won't do. His own mother and grandmother can't get him to get a job, and he's 30 years old. What makes you think he'll work for you? Well, any, uh, Jesus. I'm closing. 
come to the music now. They'll think I'm closing. I got it. Why? Listen to me when I tell you this. We try to find peace by buying happiness. We, we try to find peace by buying things. What one person said this way. We buy things we don't need with money we don't have to impress people we don't even like. I feel the presence of God. Let me tell you. The last thing I want you to see, put it on the screen. The question is, what are my goals? Moses made the choice. I'm going to choose. I'm going to set my sights on the reward ahead of me for the coming Messiah. I'm going to set my sights on God's call on my life to be the deliverer of Israel. Even though I can't even see it yet. And I feel limited. Listen to this. I said it earlier, but I'm going to say it again. Sometimes our goals will take a while to get there. God called Moses to be the deliverer of Israel. And he waited 40 years before he could actually do it. But he kept his eyes on the goal of God's calling. And then after he started delivering them out of Egypt, he had to do it 40 years in the process. 80 years for him to get them out of Egypt and get them to the border of the promised land. you got to be willing to wait on God. Yeah. Wait on God for your marriage. Wait on God for financial blessings. Wait on God in prayer, in fasting, in church attendance, in reading the Bible, in making right decisions. Because while you wait, God's building you up. While Moses was waiting 40 years, shepherding his father-in-law's flock, God was teaching him the way of the desert. The way of food in the desert, water in the desert. The way to map the stars and follow them so that he can lead the people of God. 40 years. Please hear me. This thing of, of, of faith means faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Moses couldn't see how he could deliver two million slaves and get them to the promised land, but he had faith. Noah couldn't. The Bible says Noah was told of God that God is going to judge the world by a flood. And God told Noah to build an ark, a boat, uh, uh, longer than a football field and 45 feet high. God told Noah, because the sins of the people on the earth were a stink in God's nostril, I'm going to judge the world and send a flood. But Noah, you preach and you build and you preach and you build. Noah built the ark. It took him 100 years. He built the ark 100 miles from the seashore. How many know that takes faith? Huh? He builds, he cuts, he saws, he measures, he hammers. He and his boys and the people are laughing at him and they are mocking him because he's taking a stand. He's preaching the gospel. One hundred years, God said, I'm going to send rain. They don't know what rain is. It ain't never rained before the ark. The earth receives its nourishment from the waters in the earth and dew. But did God send his judgment? Huh? My point is, you don't yet see your business succeeding but have faith keep your eyes on god 
you don't yet see that cancer or that tumor or that condition of your health heal, the more you pray, it seems like the worse the devil makes it. But keep your eye on healing power of God. You don't yet see yourself getting out of this financial miracle, financial need you have, but give your tithe and offerings as faithfully as you can. Keep your faith in God, and God is going to help you. Please stand. Please stand. Jesus, I worship you. Could you, could you lift up your hands to the Lord with me and rededicate your life to Him this morning? Could you do that? Raise up your hands to the Lord, everybody in the church. Would you tell the Lord, I want to make the right choices? Come on, tell Him in your prayers. God, I, I know possession and popularity and pleasure have their place, but I'd rather be smack dab in the will of God with less, knowing that by faith there's a better day coming. Somebody ought to say amen. Hey, look here. Look at me just a moment. Here's how I'm going to close it. Uh, last night I saw on the TV. Look at me just a moment. I saw this woman from Romania in the Olympics run the marathon, the women's marathon, 26 miles. Did anybody see that on the Olympics last night? This woman, this woman, woman, and other women run 26 miles. And her final destination, the place where she would cross the finish line, would be in the bird's nest. The stadium in China, Beijing. You know bird's nest? In the, in the former service, I was calling it the crow's nest. And I know some crows I'd like to send to that nest, but it's called a bird's nest. This gal, when she started off the first leg of this 26 mile over two hours running, did not see the bird's nest, did not hear the crowd, did not see the flag of her nation, could not see past the next turn, but she ran. She had faith. She had a goal. I started training months ago, years ago. She's 38 years old. And if she just wanted to, to just satisfy her flesh, she'd have just quit about the first mile. But the announcer said when she gets within sight of the bird's nest about a mile away after running 25 miles, the announcer said her adrenaline's going to spark. She left the crowd. But the closest people behind her seemed to be a half a mile away. This Romanian gal had a stride and a run and boy when she saw that bird's nest she ran into that stadium the thousands of people stood up they lifted up flags they clapped their hands they roared and they chanted she got her Romanian flag put it over her shoulder I thought she wasn't going to run anymore when she crossed the line she ran about three more laps you see what I'm saying to you even though you can't see your miracle yet keep on running because there's a crowd there's a cloud of witnesses Cheering you on in heaven, waiting for your arrival. Yeah. A cloud of witnesses. You can't see them and hear them, but oh my God. The Bible says, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Why would he want to go to the cross? Why would he want to die? Because he saw you and I years ahead and said, I'm going to save them. Bow your heads, Father. I ask you for deliverance and for salvation. And for the miraculous, for everybody in this house who needs your touch. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would move upon this congregation in healing and in hope 
and renewed vision. Do not let this congregation make a decision for somebody else when they need to make it for themselves. I will follow Jesus. I will be a Moses. I'll let my life count. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.